1: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, D.C. drama, two bills and a possible government shutdown on the way. CNBC's Elon Moy.
2: The administration is starting to frame and move the debate away from that $3.5 trillion number, which has triggered so much angst within the party, and say the really net cost of this bill is zero because we're going to pay for it completely over time.
0: Our new normal may be here. It's just not exactly what we expected. Former FDA head, Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
3: We're going to evolve to a place where this is an endemic virus and becomes a way of life or a fact of life, if you will.
0: And a $40 million conference call, an impersonated YouTube executive, and Ozzy Media's audience numbers.
3: If you go on the
1: website or YouTube, the numbers for the show are very, very high. There are very few comments. It's possible that they could have been buying traffic from other places.
0: Those stories plus Germany after Angela Merkel and social media's got us squawking.
4: I think we should do a Squawk TikTok. Well, you and Becky enjoy that.
0: No, nope. It's Monday, September 27th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue, please.
0: Good
5: morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
1: We're going to get right to today's top story. It is the drama over the weekend in Washington, D.C. For that, Ilan is here to take a look at everything investors need to be watching this week. Good morning to you.
2: Well, good morning, Andrew. Democrats are starting to map out a path for passing President Biden's economic agenda while hopefully avoiding a government shutdown in the process. Now, today at 5.30 p.m., the Senate will vote on a bill that would fund the government through December 3rd and raise the debt ceiling through next year. But Republicans are still determined to oppose this, leaving Democrats just three days to come up with a plan B before the government runs out of money on September the 3rd. Now, Treasury has a little more breathing room before it hits the debt limit, as of Friday, it had about $244 billion worth of cash and extraordinary measures left. The bipartisan policy center projects the so called X date will fall between October 15th and November 4th. When Democrats are also making a final push on infrastructure, the House will start debating the bill on the floor today with a final vote now scheduled for Thursday. Now, President Biden spoke with Democratic leadership before he left for Camp David this weekend, and he sounded confident about the bill's prospects when he returned.
1: I'm optimistic about this week. It's
2: going to take the better part of the week, I think. But of course, this is all contingent on whether Democrats can hash out an agreement on that $3.5 trillion social spending package this week as well. So guys, this really is make or break for the party. Back over to you.
1: I got a question for you about, I don't know if you saw it, maybe Joe and Becky also saw it. It was buried in a New York Times article over the weekend. It was about taxes and about, uh, we know about mansion, but I didn't know about senator cinema saying effectively i will not raise taxes either corporate or individual taxes a democratic senator saying that and it struck me i i was actually surprised it wasn't the headline of the story um sort of where you think everybody really is at this point
2: yeah, it's hard to believe that she would not raise taxes at all. I mean, what I've heard and sort of the consensus on the Hill is that it's unlikely she would go any higher than Joe Manchin would go. So there's two people already at, let's say, 25 percent for the corporate rate. But they're going to have to raise taxes on corporations or on the wealthy in order to pay for this plan. It's really interesting when you hear how the administration is starting to frame and move the debate away from that 3.5 trillion number, which has triggered so much angst within the party. and so Say the really net cost of this bill is zero because we're going to pay for it completely over time. And so that way they can get away from is it 3.5, is it 2, is it 1.5, is it 1, and talk about what are the priorities for spending in the bill and promise that it's all going to be paid for. We'll see. But
1: the CBO doesn't score it as zero either. Well, the right. CBO
2: score has not come out yet, so we haven't seen the full cost of spending because Democrats haven't decided what that is. But even for the House version of the bill, we are waiting on the CBO score for that. Uh, the JCT does say that the tax provisions that were in the House version of the bill um, raised roughly $2 trillion.
5: Pelosi said yesterday that the $3.5 trillion number, it's not going to be that big. Is she meaning that they're going to take things out, or is she meaning that we're just going to change what we think the cost is for all of the same stuff?
2: Well, I think that's a a debate right now. So one way that Democrats could potentially dial back the cost of the program is by making each of these different priorities lasts for a shorter period of time. So, for example, in the House version of of the bill, the child tax credit would go through 2025. Maybe instead it goes through 2024 and you get a little bit of savings there. So there are different ways that they can either change the end date or the start date of different programs to be able to bring down the number. The question is what moderates are pushing for is instead of having a lot of programs that last for a short period of time, they want to make what they're calling investments in a number of key priorities that last for a long time. So do you do a few things and do them, you know, perhaps permanently or for a long period of time? Or do you try to get everything in there, but then you're facing, you know, another uh, reauthorization in maybe two, three, four, five years? That sounds years. like a pretty key philosophical debate. I mean, if, if you still
5: can't figure that out, if we're going to do all these programs or just a few for a longer time, maybe they are quite a bit further off than we think of potentially reaching anything.
2: Yeah, I'm really not sure how they reach agreement this week. But that's that's what they say that they're going to be doing. You know, they said last week that they had some sort of framework on the tax piece of it. What we sort of realized was that the framework was what the framework had always kind of been. So um, there is the messaging around this. And then there's, you know, being able to sit down and write out the details of the legislation.
4: And the the idea that it's free, that suddenly because we're not just adding it on to the overall debt, I mean, that's a semantic argument that was met with the, the, at least in in a lot of circles, the biggest eye roll I've ever seen uh, in my life. So, um, yeah, it's free. Anyway, thanks, Alan. In global uh, political news, Social Democrats uh, in Germany narrowly beating outgoing uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel's alliance. Did you know all these years that? She was the conservative side of things. Yes. That just shows you what a conservative in Europe looks like. She's stepping down after 16 years as chancellor. Now there's going to be coalition talks and a possible three-way uh, power-sharing agreement. But the, the scuttlebutt is uh, a weakened government for years the, as China is ascended. So uh, at least that's one way of looking at it because we need a strong Europe, obviously, and, and Germany is uh, you know key to a strong EU. That lasts, but um, you know, especially with
5: it was a very close China. vote, though, it's, between the two very parties. Weak, they're yeah. both moderate parties, the the slightly left and the slightly right there. Um, it was very close between them, but they're not the two of them are not going to be the ones that combine to make the party. They're The center left government is going to have to go a little further left with the liberals and the greens. And so, you see what happens with that. Um, the liberals don't want to raise taxes, they want to br- expand the programs. The Greens want to raise taxes, but usually what happens when they start doing that is they, they get rid of the things they disagree on. So maybe yeah. there won't be higher taxes on the wealthy or on corporations, but you can not expect that they will extend their spending.
4: And she's out of there. She's so yeah. out of there. 16 years. And actually they, By the way, they, she
5: went out with higher approval ratings like than she came 70 in per, 70
4: with. 70% plus Right. Uh, she has. And then the journal has an interesting piece about, about Speaker Pelosi that not... Not exactly the same, but that she may be gone in a year or or two in 2022 and that this is the final sort of the swan song that will hurt a lot of the people that she's whipping or whatever you want to call them when, when you're getting votes, that, that it's the death sentence for some of those people if they go along with this in moderate areas. But she's not going to care. Yeah. She's going to get the she's going to have the legacy of, of you know, getting things transforming, as you say, it's transformational, building back better. And all these, if it's free, it's transformational, it's building back better, all those things. In other news uh, out of Europe, so we got that. I, said, I tweeted that over the weekend. So we got, it's free. So we got that going for us, which is nice. And then people were actually answering with other Caddyshack, Caddyshack uh, quotes. I wish it was
1: free. <laughs> I know. I, but by the It'd way, the pond for you. in <laughs> fairness, just to say it, because we should say it, the other plans weren't free prior either. No, that's, nothing's ever free that they but, do. We know that. But there wasn't as. There was, I, Sometimes we, what got I added to the. Added the conversations debt. we had back then, you weren't. You know, well, this just, has to do with, with prescription drugs. But I don't think that we're going to pay, with, pay prescription for it. Drugs. But I didn't think the last program we'd pay for yeah, it. I don't think this program of, we'd pay no, for it. we don't.
4: And, but there's a lot of sleight of hand in this, too, with prescription drugs and all kinds of things.
1: Um, and
4: when you do raise taxes, it's not free because you're. At the money that, Oh, you talking about raising taxes now. No. Well, when you do raise taxes, That's it, not to free call either. it free is
1: you're paying for it. With, and it's coming from somewhere else where it may or may not be treated better. Does it trouble you what took place in the prior four years in terms of how much money was spent and the fact that well, that wasn't free? Are you cool? This is what this is what what you're thinking. No, I does actually, it
4: trouble you that 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 liberals it does, it don't look at both sides? The New York Times never looked the at both anything. Both sides
1: of this trouble. Are you ever going to criticize Biden for anything? Yes, I, Afghanistan, I, uh, the border. Yes, mistake, really? mistake, mistake, mistake. Okay, let's say it. I just usually you just you know. I'm happy to say it. Let's say it. No one depending let's say on the which way side the of execution aisle you are. of getting out of Afghanistan okay. was How about was, the was a mistake. How about the border? Having said that, we but. Contextualize it, it. Does it seem like things contextualize are going well it. for the past Why eight did months? we get out of Afghanistan? In part because President oh, right, Trump had set right, the timeline. Okay. So let's just
3: contextualize do you, do it. Do you
4: feel like you are, are think, equal in terms of looking at Democrats
1: and Republicans and criticizing? I,
4: I, and do you think the New York Times is in basically? I'm
1: not going to speak on behalf of, uh, of different newspapers or different news. I can speak on behalf of myself. I think that I try. I think I try. and I think I, I think on a relative basis, yeah. I think I'm much closer to the center. And I think I'm much closer to where the viewer actually is on that, in that regard. I, I, I don't know. I have some weird people following me that on Twitter. Meantime, some fascinating news uh, just breaking this morning. Instagram now putting an upcoming product on hold for kids. This comes in the wake of a series of critical articles about Facebook in the Wall Street Journal, including one that accused Facebook of knowing that Instagram is bad for teen girls' mental health. Instagram's head, Adam Marsari, joined the Today Show just moments
3: ago. Today, we want to talk about how we're going to put the work on pause. I still firmly believe that it's a good thing to build a version of Instagram that's designed to be safe for tweens, but we want to take the time to talk to parents and researchers and safety experts and get to more consensus about how to move forward.
1: And Facebook pushing back on that journal article uh, in a blog post yesterday saying that on many well-being issues, Instagram's own research showed that the service actually helps teen girls, although teens reported both positive and negative experiences with social media. It's an interesting one because the blowback has been huge. I've even heard from potential advertisers saying, you know, I don't know if I want to be associated uh, with Facebook, don't want to be associated with Instagram. It's an interesting also decision to, to put a pause on this kid's program. Yeah. One of the challenges, unfortunately, is that lots of, lots of tweens and kids under the age of 13, unfortunately, are already using the service. And so to some degree, you could argue, better to actually have a service that has some kind of controls around it, but at the same time, there's so many issues around trust right now uh, that they're putting that pause in place.
5: I, I don't know. It, it, this, it, it seems like a really tricky one when you open up the service and say it's actually for open for kids under 13 instead of kids who are kind of like squeaking into it and using it. I, I, this has been an issue I've been concerned about as a mom and, you know, seeing them actually say, okay, we're going to bow to the pressure on this and, and, and put the, hit the pause button I think is, is a bit of a victory.
1: It's interesting. I, I can't tell whether it's a victory or not. I, there's part of me that thinks it's a victory, but there's part of me that thinks one. that there's so many kids, uh, for better or worse, on this service already that if you could actually put some controls in place, um, that maybe that's an improvement. Well, why don't
5: you put controls on it to make sure that kids under 13 aren't on it?
1: Well, that's, that's by the way, that's the big question. Can you? And I think that they've tried. I, I don't know if they've maybe really tried hard, hard enough. <laughs> yeah. um, really I, hard you know, the question is, how, would you, how, how do you get there? Um, in terms in terms of protecting against that. I
5: don't know, ask for a parental sign-off and the parent has to be on Facebook first to approve okay. it?
1: I believe that they... But I believe that it's very hard to actually just sign... I don't think you can just sign up an account straight up. This is where we... I don't like... You know oversight and regulation, but
4: you know kids left to their own devices right. at that age. But again, hideous. including the similar problem on TikTok, right. by the way, right. and some of these other services. Uh, you know, those people who can't dance. I agree with that. The people people <laughs> who can't dance they look
1: really bad. They shouldn't be dancing. Doing a little bit of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do they? Have you done it? I have not done it. I think we should do a squawk TikTok. I well, do I think,
4: think we should. Well, you and Becky enjoy that. No, um,
5: I was going to count the, myself
4: out. The, that,
1: that can be you solo too. Solo performance, is that what you're saying? Okay, yeah. okay. Watch me.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, when will it all be over? Nearly 700,000 Americans have died due to COVID-19, but maybe we're approaching a new era of the pandemic. Dr. Scott Gottlieb.
3: It's going to be an evolution. It's not going to happen overnight, and I don't think the vaccines are going to be what drive us out of this. It's going to be when we can vaccinate the children when prevalence declines, when the hospitalizations and deaths start to decline. And they will.
0: Viral medicines, kids' vaccines, and the new normal. Right after this.
2: Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you
0: this is squawk pod with joe kernan becky quick and andrew ross sorkin here's becky
5: Pfizer's ceo is predicting that there could be a return to what he called normal life within the next year amid the continued pandemic In an interview yesterday albert borla stressed that normal doesn't necessarily mean that covid would be completely gone and that the variants would continue being an issue borla says that that means annual revaccinations could become a part of life
6: the virus is spread all over the world, that we will continue seeing uh, new variants that are coming out, and also we will have uh, vaccines that uh, they will last at least a year. And uh, I think the most likely scenario is annual revaccinations, but we don't know really. We need to wait and see the data.
5: So maybe it becomes much more like the flu. On the topic of vaccinations for children, Borla says that it's a question of days, not weeks, before Pfizer submits data to U.S. regulators for authorization. And guys, that would put it to the position where maybe kids can get uh, these vaccines by about Halloween because it takes four to six weeks generally for the FDA to
1: approve meantime, another big issue in New York. This is uh, happening basically right now. The governor may be calling up the National Guard and use out-of-state medical workers to fill some hospital staffing shortages. Tens of thousands of health care workers could lose their jobs if they don't meet. Today's deadline is today for a mandated COVID vaccination.
4: Get the Gottlieb after the CDC recommended booster shots for some Americans. Confusion still remains regarding eligibility and rollout of a third va- uh, Pfizer vaccine. Join us now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, former FDA commissioner, CNBC contributor. He also serves on the boards of Illumina uh, and Pfizer. His new book, Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Next Pandemic, is out now. Um, so many nuances to, to the, the vaccine, Scott. I, I, you know, frustrating because the panacea we had hoped for, it's not even close um, breakthroughs and, and viral loads of double vaccinated people and all these things. What about a therapeutic that, that we could get in the form of a pill like we use with other viruses? It's definitely possible to do. Pfizer's working on one. Merck and Ridgeback uh, are close to disrupting the, the replication of the virus, which turns it into, a, you know, not even a, a, a serious flu almost. Plus, the, the viral load never gets high enough to to uh, cause those immune, those immune system problems that we get to kill so many people with covid. That's the only way we're ever getting out from underneath this. A booster every year and another one and, and you know, breakthrough cases. Vaccines aren't going to aren't going to be the answer to get us back to normal.
3: Well, I wouldn't accept that vaccines aren't going to be the answer. We don't know what the long-term immunity is going to be, especially after you boost the population. This might be a three-dose regimen. It might be an annualized vaccine like we take for flu. And the vaccines are holding up pretty well. They're fulfilling their original premise that they're preventing hospitalization, severe disease, even symptomatic disease in most cases. Um, With respect to the therapeutic, uh, uh, there is news out today from Pfizer, the company I'm on the board of, about advancing their drug into Clinical trials to prevent infection in um, close contacts. You're right, the Merck drug is advanced as well. Roche has a drug that's also in advanced development, a little further behind, but looks very promising. And then there's a whole host of drugs that are in earlier development that were engineered specifically to target this SARS CoV 2 virus. I do believe we're going to have an antiviral. To your point, this isn't a hard virus to drug in terms of how it replicates. But I'll just offer that it's going to become increasingly difficult to run these clinical trials in a population. We have a lot of people who've been vaccinated and a lot of people who've been infected. So, you know, running a trial to prevent progression of uh, symptomatic disease or to prevent uh, the onset of disease in close contacts is difficult to find uh, treatment naive patients or virus naive patients in the United States right now.
4: That's a good problem to have. Uh, obviously, Scott, that that you can't find people. That... Well, it's
3: a good problem to have if the reason why you can't find people is because they're vaccinated. Right. Um, it's not a good problem if it's that they're infected.
4: But so, aren't you? I, what I can't understand is the angst and in the and in, in the you know seeing masks everywhere again. What we thought was going to be different. What was it? Three, four, five. I got it in January. So what what looked like the end is nowhere near the end because of these breakthrough cases, whether they're Really, really common. Whether they, whether you're asymptomatic, doesn't seem to matter anymore. Even if you're asymptomatic with a breakthrough case, there's still a concern that you're going to pass it to someone who's vaccinated, and then they're going to be asymptomatic, and it's going to keep getting passed until you get to someone who's either vulnerable or who's unvaccinated, and it's, it's just like this vicious circle. That it's very frustrating, and everybody's out. I mean, look at. I mean, maybe they're outside, maybe they're not. There's people inside. There's people in in stadiums. There are people. Uh, everywhere, and you—you know—you get a dirty look if you don't—if you're not wearing a mask, even if you're double vaxed.
3: Well, look, let me just challenge that for a minute. First of all, you're right. Everyone's out. I mean, society is functioning fairly normally. I'm not going to say it's completely normal uh, right now. But prevalence is still very high. We're still recording 2,000 deaths a day, a lot of hospitalizations. Um, This Delta wave is still sweeping across the country. So I think that's impacting behavior and psychology. And I think it's going to take a longer time for psychology to really evolve where we come to accept coronavirus as just uh, a fact of life and that there's going to be infections. But that's going to be a point when prevalence really starts to decline and we start to see fewer hospitalizations, fewer deaths. We're still really in in the throes of this. And then finally, I think the reason why a lot of people um, are overestimating the risk of coronavirus, or are still concerned about it, even if they're vaccinated. Uh, know that they're not going to get very sick, but they might get a milder or asymptomatic infection. Is because the kids are still vulnerable. I think once we're able to vaccinate children, once adults are able to vaccinate their kids, the anxiety about getting a breakthrough infection, knowing that you're probably not going to get very sick, your odds of getting very sick are very low if you're vaccinated, but you could bring it back into the house. I think that's going to start to resolve. So. You know, this is going to be a slow evolution. You're right. We've just spent a year, year and a half, you know, trying to prevent every single infection. And we're going to evolve to a place where this is an endemic virus and becomes a way of life or a fact of life, if you will. Um, it's going to be an evolution. It's not going to happen um, overnight. And I don't think the vaccines are going to be what drive us out of this. It's going to be when we can vaccinate the children, when prevalence declines, when the hospitalizations and deaths start to decline. And they will. They will on the back end of this Delta wave. Scott, uh,
1: can we talk about the booster for a second? This is the third booster uh, available by Pfizer, not yet uh, in the case in Moderna. In terms of the ability to get infected, one of the things we don't know from these studies, we t- they, they talk about sort of the, the, you know, nine, ten times antibodies, but we don't know what that means in practice. If the, if the original second, second shot got you to, let's say, a 93 percent, Rate. Now, that was pre-Delta. What do you what do you think the the third booster gets you to? Because part of it is people are trying to avoid uh, hospitalization death. But I do think there's uh, a lot of folks, by the way, including myself, who would very much like to avoid infection. And it seems like at least for several months after uh, the shot uh, or, or the first first vaccine or maybe the third vaccine that it, there is a level of which it, there's almost an inoculation, but maybe not.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, this is a good question. In the public health community, the premise that these vaccines are going to be used to prevent any infection at all, um, that's where people start to get uncomfortable because they feel the premise of these vaccines is that they should be used to prevent severe disease, symptomatic disease, hospitalization. That was the original concept of the vaccines. And in order to prevent any infection at all, you might need to continue to reboost to maintain um, high circulating antibody levels. Now, the data out of Israel, to directly answer your question... And it's only one month of data that we're really looking at, at this point. Some some cases go out a little further than that It does suggest that the immune protection that the third shot offers restores the uh, protection that you had after the second shot. So if you, the second shot afforded you 95 percent protection against any infection at all, that does appear to be what you're seeing after this third dose. Now, it's only short term data. We don't know how durable um, the, the high levels of circulating antibodies are going to be in the protection against infection. So it's an open question right now. I mean, we're going to have to continue to follow these patients. But that premise that these vaccines should be used to prevent any infection at all, that's where public health officials and that's where the advisory committees got uncomfortable.
1: Scott, but then the second question, this goes to where I think Joe was headed, which is if you're vaccinated and you get a breakthrough infection and you give it to another uh, vaccinated individual who therefore gets a breakthrough infection, what do you think the demonstrable um, danger is? In that in, in that context, because because jo- Joe posited that there were going to be asymptomatic and asymptomatic. I know people who were asymptomatic and then symptomatic uh, and worse.
3: Yeah. W- well, again, we don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to believe, look, we're not collecting data on this, so we can't answer these questions. So this is, um, you know, speculative. But I'm inclined to believe that more of the uh, asymptomatic infections or mildly symptomatic infections that we're seeing in vaccinated people isn't vaccinated people getting the infection from other vaccinated people. It's vaccinated people getting the infection from unvaccinated people, more likely, because a vaccinated person probably is shedding less virus and is contagious for a shorter period of time. That's what the study seems seem to suggest. There's no reason to believe that an infection passed from a vaccinated person to a vaccinated person is going to be any, any worse. You can, you can speculate that it would be less worse because a vaccinated person is less likely to shed a lot of virus and give you a big dose of virus. And And the severity of your infection is, in some cases, dose dependent. How big of a dose of the virus did you get before you got infected? Probably you got a lower dose from a vaccinated person. Again, speculation because CDC isn't collecting this data. So we can't answer the question definitively.
4: Back to the original point, these therapeutics, these pills could be uh, you could have an EUA before the end of the year, almost before the end of of, uh, not even maybe before winter, before December 20th.
3: Yeah, with the trials that are underway looking at reduction in symptoms and prevention of progression of severe disease, those are the first trials that got underway, yes. Those are well underway, the the pivotal trials. You could have a readout from Pfizer and and Merck before the end of the year that could lead to an EUA potentially if everything goes well. The trials looking at um, prevention of infection in close contacts got started later, so they're going to read out later.
4: Right, but that's a game changer because remdesivir is just, you know, the
3: whole process is... It's almost like a catch-22. Yeah, it has to be say. infused. Yeah, it's almost like, and you've got to do it early. Right, and look, the, we have the monoclonal antibodies. We need to remember the monoclonal antibodies are highly effective. They're available right now, and it could be used as a prophylaxis. They're available for prophylaxis. Now, again, they need to be infused, but Veer Biotechnology is working on a sub-Q formulation that could be delivered in a doctor's office. Those are very good drugs, uh, so we shouldn't lose sight of that. I think people don't really reach for them because they seem to be complicated to administer, but they're really not.
4: Good. Lot of, need all these arrows in the quiver, Scott. Thanks.
1: Cheese will be next.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, the story that got us squawking today and was highlighted in the New York Times media equation column. Ozzy, the startup with huge audience numbers and high profile backers. And the Wall Street conference call that went wrong, all wrong.
1: Clearly, Lazary must have known about this. I'm imagining he has confidence in the company, but clearly Goldman Sachs doesn't have confidence, and the big question is going to be whether advertisers will have confidence.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. And there's a story today in the New York Times that caught our interest about a past Squawk Box guest, a $40 million investment, and a wild conference call. Here's Andrew.
1: We got to talk about this Goldman Sachs, Aussie, vest, everything, mess story uh, in today's Times by Ben Smith, because it is
5: What did you? Remarkable. What did you think? I mean, I, kind of reading through... It looked like Goldman Sachs had, forget it, but then they decided to move forward anyway um, with an additional round of funding that they were seeking after that.
1: Just to bring everybody up to speed, the the, the story in The Times this morning suggests that uh, that Ozzy, and we've had Carlos Watson, we actually just had Carlos and uh, Mark Lazarus on the program last week after they announced a new funding round and, and Mark Lazarus, I believe, he was becoming chairman of the company... Carlos, I should probably let you take it away in terms of what the news is. But uh, in a way, Mark is about to become at least one of your bosses. Always has been, always will be. And I'm really pleased to announce this morning that Mark Lazzari has joined us as uh, the chairman of our board. So Mark, what's what's the plan here? When you when you think about the future of Aussie, when you think about the future of, of media companies, what's the long-term play here? I think
4: for us, Aussie Media is a pretty unique company. I joined the board a number of years ago.
1: And it's just literally revenue has kept on doubling. A wild story about how uh, Carlos Watson's co-founder effectively tried to impersonate somebody from YouTube in a conference call with Goldman Sachs. Uh, lots of questions about whether... In, the, in order
5: to say something about how great their numbers were and, and, exactly. and give the impression that they were reaching more a bigger audience right. than...
1: And lots than of questions about whether their audience really is the size that they say. Comscore, which is a uh, an outside service that audits uh, these things and has their own numbers. I don't want to say audits these things, but estimates their own numbers. Their numbers are way below where it appears that Carlos Watson has told people publicly if, if the guy that the company the, really is. If the guy with the disguised voice was
4: an outlier, would be one thing, but there's a right. whole series of things. There's it, lots of, of other of things, things. that a were thing
1: hyped. With, with, hy- hyped up with the Amazon, and- all sorts of things. How about but Ben Smith? I kind of take issue with this. What's that? Uh,
4: he throws Tesla under the bus, Connie. One nagging question in this era of spectacular boom and busts is oh. where do you draw the line between fake it till you make it, it, oh. you make it uh, and possible fraud? And he says he fake it till you make no it was Tesla. He says well, as an example.
1: I think that there were, there were but, things that were said. But Tesla f- and Theranos in the same sentence should, different. Ne- that those two should never agreed. be in the same sentence. Agreed. But I think that there, is a, there, there were questions early on in what was said. They begin but, with the T. But in terms of this, this Aussie story, the other thing that's so fascinating to me about it is if you get to the very bottom of it, you realize that even though they did raise $40 million, uh, Emerson, um, which is uh, uh, Lorraine Powell uh, Jobs' is right. firm, firm. Was an early investor in Ozzy and, and they distance themselves from it. And effectively, say we haven't we haven't been putting new money into this company, and actually we're off the board. So while Mark Lasry may be out there, and we'd love for Mark or Carlos' invitation to call into the show right now, even uh, to talk about it. Is is it a dirty little secret that but all? But I think there's been a lot of questions about all social Carlos's
4: media show. eyeballs inflated by. Well, is I think the there's a little secret. There's a, This is different. It appears that this may be different. But but is it a matter of degree? It's it's a quantitative difference, not a qualitative um, difference? Does everybody do it to some extent? I don't
1: know. You put on the best face. I don't know. I will say that... Somebody
5: said that there were questions about whether this would... Ben wrote this in the piece, whether there were questions about whether the SEC could look into this. Because if you are making false allegations in, in reference to investments... Um, that they could potentially have a case. Uh, he said maybe not because the investment didn't move forward after they found out that it was a fraud.
1: I, I will say it's very interesting if you go on Carlos's show, and by the way, I should say I was a guest on Carlos's show, but I'm saying if you go on the website or, or YouTube, the numbers for the show are very, very high, meaning it looks like millions of people have seen the show. Uh, ben makes the point that there are very few comments on which does reflect that there's something going on. It's possible that they could have been buying traffic from other places. Um, and I, I say, by the way, in full disclosure, I was on the show. It looks like millions of people saw that episode. No, that was the lowest episode I, ever. No, but I, I was going to say not. But I would say maybe one or two people in my whole life have ever even it, it, have said to me, "Hey, I saw you on this thing." And I always thought to myself. That's a little strange because if you look at the numbers on it, they're very, very high. What do you think, Lazary? Is like, who needs this? I'm a trillionaire. I mean, why am I? Well, clearly, Lazary must have known about this even when he came on our air, which, by the way, also troubles me. I, I want to say that because clearly, this 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 incident happened before he came on, before that they had raised the before they had raised this money, and obviously wasn't acknowledged. He he must have confidence in the. I'm imagining he has confidence in the company. Um, but clearly Goldman Sachs doesn't have confidence. Clearly, Lorraine Powell Jobs doesn't have confidence. And the big question's gonna be whether advertisers will have confidence. Right.
0: And that's Squawk Pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to this podcast anytime. Thank you. We'll meet you back here tomorrow
1: are clear. Thanks, guys.
6: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.